expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. episode 163 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We are live at Tidewater Comic Con in Virginia Beach, Virginia 2017. I'm James with them alongside. The Merc with one of Nick Vitagli. And yeah, man, you know, right now we're at Tidewater Comic Con. As you can tell, there's just a bunch of people. There's an estimated something 23,000 people this year. And not only that, I mean, this is a convention that's grown every year and... Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Virginia Beach Convention Center, what they had was maybe half of the convention center. So think about any con that you've been to, cut it in half. That's what they used to have. This year, the entire convention center is jam-packed full of vendors, artists, writers, and just people, cosplayers that have been amazing all day. And some of the people you're going to be hearing throughout the show are going to be doing it different this year. We're not going to be doing our segments as usual. We're going to be doing, you know, for what we're reading, we're going to talk, of course, some writers and stuff like that. And artists, and everything else. So it's going to be segmented as you go on through this episode, just various interviews we've done throughout Taiwan Compound. We talked to Robert Diddy, we talked to Violet Bean from The Flash, just so many awesome, awesome people. And it's, what's cool about coming to cons is just how chill everybody is. Yeah, I mean, it's so relaxed, and everybody's just happy. I mean, how can you not be happy when you're surrounded by the things that you love? And, and just... For some people, I mean, especially for the kids, too. I love seeing the kids' faces light up when they see their favorite character in cosplay that's just right there in front of them. And it's just so real. And it's in some of these cosplays, like, there was one that uh, got put up on our social media page, uh, either on our Instagram at downandnerdy757 or at facebook.com slash downandnerdy, of a Zoom cosplay. Dude, that Zoom was legit. Man, the mask on that dude and then the pose he gave us in that photo was just absolutely amazing. Which dude. was funny because it was we took that photo after our interview with Violet. <laughs> at which at which point Nick was still wearing his reverse flash hat. <laughs> and I've got the flash socks on. So we were sucking up a little bit, I guess. A little bit, a little bit. I mean, you plan ahead for these types of things. but Yeah, you do. I mean, it's cool because you see people like, you know, we talked to Robert before us, both on and off air. It's just cool seeing friends of ours, Eric Donovan and stuff like that, Teeny Howard, just people we see about once a year. But it's great because it's like, you know, after the con, what happens? That's the after party. So, of course, we all go to the, the bar. We get, you know, have a couple of drinks, talk about comics, industry, just fun stuff. And it's it's literally, you know, con season is just one of those seasons I look forward to the most, especially on weekends like this one. Absolutely. And, I mean, in, initial impressions right now as you walk around, and I think that everything has been – there have been some things that are improved from last yeah. year. We'll talk about that a little bit later on and, and when we wrap things up and give our initial impressions of the con. But, I mean, as far as the crowd goes, it's a very good crowd just people everywhere and what's the best cosplay you think you've seen so far other than the Zoom other than the Zoom I don't know man because I mean there's there's some good cosplays here I mean Hmm. The thing is, I, I want to go through my phone, like, like look at all the photos. Like, oh, this one. I, I, I thought I thought you'd jump out with one really quickly, actually. I didn't, man, because it's just there's just so many of them. But I, okay, I'm doing this. I'm cheating a little bit. I'm I know there's been phone. some really good ones, but uh, there's one immediately okay, that I thought there's you'd one. Get. That, um, well, of course you had the Negan Deadpool, but I'll say this because this is probably my favorite one because you never see it. It's Clown from Spawn. That was you, a good one. You never see a legit clown from spawn cosplay and this guy 
looked it. He asked me, like, can I take a picture? Go show you. Do you want menacing or happy? I'm like, oh, do menacing. <laughs> you got to do the menacing uh, Yeah, that was, that was really good. There was one that really jumped out at me that also jumped out at you. How about the Goldar and Lord Zed? That was that awesome, had. too, because, you know, it's just it's the Power Rangers coming back and having full force with the whole new movie and everything like that. Lord Zed, are we going to see him at some point? Maybe in the sequel or the third film? We don't know. And, you know, Goldar, of course, we got it was the, the Goldar we took a picture of was from the TV version, but either way, it, it's really cool to kind of see cosplays you don't really normally see, you know, and stuff like that. So it's really, really cool. There's a guy who, or Shaggy had mentioned this, his Blade cosplay, oh. down to the T. You want to talk about, yeah. okay, he didn't just have the costume, he had the sunglasses, he had the teeth. He had the tattoos. He had the haircut. Like, legit. This wasn't like a wig or anything like that. No. This was like his actual hair. I don't know who did it, but they did a pretty <laughs> damn good job. They, they really did. But coming up next, we're talking to a bunch of different guests from the comic book world. That's coming up next in the Down Dirty Podcast. This is writer Van Jensen, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're live once again at Tidewater Comic Con 2017. You might recognize this guy. We had him on this show before. It was all the way back talking about Book of Death, though, so it's good to catch up again with Robert Venditti. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it, guys. No, man. What do you think of the con so far? How you doing? I'm doing great. I've not been to Virginia Beach or this convention before, so uh, unfortunately the weather is a little bit of a downer, but I think it's supposed to clear out today, so I'm hoping to maybe get down to Atlantic Avenue. But uh, the convention's been real good so far. Just been open a few hours, but seems pretty busy. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on. Cruising the strip with Robert Venditti. <laughs> <laughs> so before we dive into your work, of course, at Hal Jordan Green Lantern Corps, we had your boy Van Jansen on like a while back, and he mentioned something that was pretty interesting. He said that you and him swap insults from message boards and try to top one another. <laughs> I think I actually heard that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Where he told you that somebody said he was pure taint or yes, something like that? Yeah, yeah. 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 So how did that start? Was it you? Who sent the first insult? Oh, no, we're just really good. We're just really good buddies. And so it's not like we're insulting each other. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's more like, man, I, look at what this guy said about me or whatever. Like, we'll screen grab it and text it to each other. What, uh, what is the biggest, what was the one insult that made you laugh the most? Man, I don't think it's anything I could repeat. <laughs> uh, it is a message board. So. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I'll, I'll go through and see if I, I still have the screen grab. So I'll go through and see if I can find something. He's some got it on his phone. While, while we're I know talking. this is audio, so you can't really appreciate yeah, yeah. this. He's literally pulling out his phone. He has it somewhere. While we're talking about other stuff, I'll see if I can find it for you. So keep going. Well, of course, you know, Hal Jordan Green Lantern Corps, we see the Green Lanterns and Yellow Lanterns coming together. So what was your idea for that and how you wanted to make that and all that unfold? You know, it's baked into the concept of Green Lantern to have the whole will versus fear debate. But I really wanted to try to take that and spin it in a new direction. You know, John has a line where, you know, none of the rings are inherently good or bad on their own. It's up to the wielder that wears them and that sort of free choice idea. But uh, I just felt it would be an interesting way to test our heroes and do a lot of different things with them. You know, like in the first arc where we have... Hal Jordan becoming almost uh, a sentient being of will, you know, and where that takes him as a character. Uh, some of the reveals we're going to have up with John as we get to the end of this first long-form story, which involves uh, the Sinestro Corps and the Green Lantern Corps sort of teaming up and becoming a single core. A lot of those things, I feel like the Sinestro Corps was the best uh, 
antagonists to, to bring those kinds of things to the front. Not only that, but we talked about Book of Death and Valiant that we had you on for about a year and a half ago, and you finally started writing The Eternal Warrior again for the first time since that time for Valiant. So what's it been like? Because I feel like you really got in touch with that character during the Book of Death arc and did some great things. So what's it like to kind of revisit that in this Awakening storyline? I love the character. Um, what I like about him the most, especially from the Wrath of Eternal Warrior run, is it was a very family driven story which isn't something you really get a chance to do a lot of in mainstream comics that you can do you know father child relationships and things like that so um, I enjoyed that aspect of the character but I also like the idea of, of looking at this guy like if you have a character who uh, has lived forever and a lot of people I think tend to look at immortality and as a blessing almost because you can have you know, uh, multiple lifetimes of, of memories and things, but all of us, our lives are, are made about the things we like that we've done, but also our regrets. Well, this guy's got an eternity of regrets to go along with the eternity of his successes. And so to really kind of get into how emotionally draining it would be to keep getting up out of the grave and to keep going back at it and, and things like that, I just find he's a really fascinating character. And our last question I want to ask you is, you know, I reviewed the book, uh, Eternal Warrior Awakening, on the most recent show. I said how if you're somebody who has not read Eternal War, this is really much a, a revisit or just a, a good relaunch point to so get you into the character. So as a writer, how do you find that perfect point to kind of reintroduce a character to readers who have been reading the character for a while, also new characters as well? It's always something I'm aware of because I didn't start reading... Uh Here's one for you. He's got one. He's got one. <laughs> no offense to at Robert Vendetti, but couldn't DC Comics find a bigger name to replace at Jeff Johns? Are <laughs> <laughs> more established writers afraid? So, I always like that one. That was a good Robert one. Robert Venditti, the That's, man with no fear. Yeah, that was from like 2012 or something like that. Um, Okay, this guy read a book of mine called The Homeland Directive, and he said, I come across as a bitter comic book nerd who's read too much Captain America. Leave the, prop leave the propaganda to Fox News. <laughs> I don't even really know what that was in reference to. Um, so, yeah, there's tons of these things. But um, what was the question? About, about finding that perfect point to... Oh, yeah. It's something I'm really aware of because I just started reading comics until I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. And I remember walking into a shop and seeing, you know, Spider-Man 700 or, you know, Superman 10,000. It was very daunting as a new reader to, to try to feel like you could come in to these vast mythologies. So with every issue that I write, I'm always trying to be aware that this is going to be somebody's first issue, like I had a first issue, and to try to do the story in a way that hopefully expands on the character or does something new with the mythology that if you've, if you've read it for years and years and years you get that if you've never read it before you can pick it up and start from square one right here so um, to the extent you know I won't always be super successful at it but it's something that I always try to do whether it's Eternal Warrior Green Lantern whatever have you so. absolutely make sure you're getting Hal Lantern and Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps from DC Comics also Eternal Warrior Awakening number one out right now as well from Valiant Robert Venditti thanks for giving us a few minutes of Time Warrior Comic Con thank you guys I appreciate it Live once again from Tidewater Comic Con 2017. You might recognize these names from a book that Nick reviewed recently called Sword Quest from Dynamite. It's Chad Bowers and Chris Sims. Gentlemen, how you doing? Great. Doing great. Having a great time. I'm fine. 
<laughs> well, I mean, before you got to do Sword Quest, you actually got to do something that was near and dear to both of our hearts, which was X-Men uh, 92 oh, yeah. for Marvel. So how fun was it for, that, for you to be able to do that and revisit, like, the animated series-style X-Men? Do you want to take this one? Uh, I mean, I would say that it's similar to, but legally distinct from the animated series-style X-Men. <laughs> Creative no, was, license, if you will. No, it was a blast. Uh, like, th- that, that whole, that year... Of 92, like when that the, the they were everywhere. Yeah. The video game came out in 92. The animated series came out in 92. The pasta came out in 92. <laughs> the Pizza Hut comics, I think, were 92 toys. or 93. Toys. The to- the toys. That was a huge thing for us when yeah, we were kids. Yeah. yeah. So like, be like I mean, if you read the the miniseries, like we made sure to be like, oh hey, we need Magneto's Magnetron in there. We need a uh, Wolverine's mutant, mutant cycle. Mutant cycle, yeah. So trying to, like, capture everything that the X-Men were about in the early 90s was, like, I mean, it was a challenge, but it was really fun, yeah. But not so much of a challenge in the sense that we, like, didn't know it. Like, we knew that stuff for, so we were, like, it, it was, it's, like, ingrained in who we were. Trying like, to cram it all into 14 yeah. issues was a challenge. <laughs> that <laughs> like, is true. What not to put in was the problem. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, X-Men 92, you're dealing with a, really, a, just a classic cast of characters. What was the one character or a couple characters that you were most excited to write? I mean, Wolverine, obviously, like who, you know, because he's Wolverine. But beyond that, I think for me, it was Cyclops and, and Gene, the dynamic between those two, I really liked. Uh, Chris, in particular, I think was really excited about doing Gambit stuff and Rogue stuff. Gambit and Rogue were, like, super fun. Yeah. But, like, in the end, like, Jubilee. Yeah, well, for me, when it came to the ongoing series, it was really, like, uh, Bishop and Psylocke because, you know, they weren't part of that, that show. I mean, they were on the show, but they weren't part of the team. And I felt like if the show had kept going or something like that, maybe we would have seen them, like, kind of get pulled in a little bit more. So being able to do that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Ju- Jubilee was Jubilee was it for See, me. I think yeah. It was a surprise for both of us too. Like going in we knew we liked Jubilee, but we didn't know how much we liked Jubilee until we got kind of to the end. Yeah, and then and then when we added in the Generation X kids and the Ecstatics kids, like getting to do not just like the core team dynamics, but getting to do like the dynamics among the kids. When I realized that I was basically writing Jubilee and Monet as Betty and Veronica, yeah. like <laughs> that was it was that's when it clicked. You know, it was like super fun. Like Monet is like, what if Veronica Lodge had Superman's powers? It's Monet, like perfect. Totally. As a matter of fact, and then you'd go from that and transition into the Atari universe. And we were talking off the air about pitches that you did. And, Nick, they said that they did a pitch for Pong. Yeah. We've got to hear it. So what was the story idea for Pong? I can't, I can't say. It might still happen. <laughs> but but I will say, uh, uh, the Pong pitch I got so excited about that I called Chad at 10 p.m. on a weeknight. <laughs> Chad's got kids. Uh, and I was like, I figured it out. I figured out how to do Pong. Because, like, if you're going to pitch an Atari game, like, it's the biggest one. It's huge. But there's, there's literally no story. Yeah. Like, it's, it's – it is – there is nothing to Pong as far as story-wise. They sent us a list, though. When we first got uh, first Kevin and those guys talked to us, they sent us a list. And on that list was like 100-plus titles. And they were like, pick a couple and, and, and pitch us on a couple of ideas. It was three pages single-spaced. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Wow, and so wow. we, uh, It was every Atari property, like every first-party Atari game. Yeah. And so we pulled from that and, and, and built stories around some of those games. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, they didn't really have like a hard... Uh, concept to them. They were just like, you know, uh, you know, not strategy games, but like, you know, like obstacle games or, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, like a lot, and all of them were like baseball or or super blackjack. And we honestly, like, we were like, what if we pitched baseball? Like, what would we do with the concept of baseball? Comic be called, yeah, baseball be called. Because it was on the list. 
And the other one we did was Night Driver, which I think we we might still do something with. If we because we were very happy with the pitches that we came up with that were that were not chosen. I think I honestly those might be the three best pitches we've ever sent in. Probably so yeah, I think so. And, uh, so maybe like, and I was talking to Kevin, um, Kevin Kettner, our editor at at Dynamite, and I was like, hey man, just a couple weeks ago, I was like, hey man, I still really want to do Pong, and he was like, he was like, look. I tell everybody at the cons, you would not believe that we got a pitch for Pong that will work. Uh, so maybe if, if SwordQuest does well, if Centipede does well, uh, Atari Universe Season 2 is going to have Pong in it, maybe. I hope. I don't know. And, and maybe. Of, and, of course, talk about SwordQuest. I mean, this is the book that kicks off Dynamite's Atari Universe. So yeah. what is it like to have that style of book that you know is kicking off this universe, but also is doing something unique that you guys be talked about off air? Oh, no, it's, it's a big honor. I mean, obviously, it was one of those things where we didn't quite know what it was going to be, and I think they were kind of, like, curious to see what we'd come up with. And I think one of the things that we wanted to do from right from the get-go was make sure that we defined the the idea of video game comics or Atari comics in 2017 as something that doesn't necessarily have to be exactly what you think it's going to be. To go a little bit more, I don't want to say, like, art comic with it, but certainly a little more um, off the, off the you know, the, the premise of what you would think normally a book called Sword Quest would be or a book called Centipede would be or something like that. So, yeah, it could easily just be something that's a sword and sorcery comic, but to turn it into something that's a little more, like, grounded, I think, was our big focus to show the the potential of, a, of an Atari uh, line of comics. Yeah, and honestly, like, when we when we started, like, writing up the pitches, like, that's kind of the direction I was approaching with it. You know, like, I kind of wanted to do... We, we'd been talking about doing a fantasy book for a really long time, uh, which is more, like, as a reader, probably something that I'm more into than you. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of, like, I wanted to to do what would have been more of a straight fantasy book and it was chad who really wanted to get into like more of the real world stuff but when we when we realized that the the story of the contest was out there and the you know all the the really interesting part of that game is real world stuff and thus sword quest real world so we had a really good conversation about like trying to be like what do we like about our both of our pitches and we sort of you know workshopped it together and I think one of the really interesting things is this is the first Atari comic in 30 years. The first Atari comic since Atari Force ended. And, like, we hadn't worked for Dynamite before. Uh, when they brought it, you know, they brought this to us and said, pick one. Um, you know, pick, pick three and pitch. And, and one of those we got was Sword Quest. So the amount of faith that, that, that Kevin and Anthony uh, Marquez had in us uh, was, like, really encouraging and heartening. And, and they've been really supportive. So, I mean, it's, you know... It's something we're really excited about doing. Absolutely. Make sure you get Sword Quest number zero, which is out right now at your local shops, of course, digital retailers, and look for issue one. It's coming. 25 cents in your local store, and if you don't have a local shop, it's free on Comixology. And it's the actual first 16 pages of the story. It's the first chapter of the story. So, see, there you go. No excuses not to check it out. It's yeah. Chad Bowers and Chris Sims. Gentlemen, thanks for taking a few minutes with us at Time hey, Water Comic Con. Thanks for, thanks for coming and uh, talking to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Live from Tidewater Comic Con 2017, this is a name you've heard recently on our show, actually. Artist for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and many more things. Corey Smith, how you doing, man? Good. How you guys doing? Now, we actually just had Kevin Eastman on the show recently, talking about Free Comic Book Day and everything that's going on, oh, cool. Prelude to Dimension X. Had a lot of good things to say about you, so I'm going to flip the script here. So what's it like working with a guy like Kevin Eastman, also Tom Waltz on this? Uh, well, it's... Yeah. First of all, it's it's crazy to hear that Kevin's saying nice things about me because he 
has had such a huge influence on me becoming an artist. Um, and secondly, he's just an amazing guy. Like he, he uh, shortly after I started working on the book, he he emailed me out of the blue just to say like, hey, you know, I like what you're doing. Like, you know, welcome to the fold, um, which blew me away. Uh, he's he couldn't be. Uh, cooler or more humble uh, or, or a better guy to, to be working with on this book. So it's, you know, in addition to it being like a huge honor to work with him, like it's also really, really cool to find out like what a great guy is. And how, you know, you just talk about that whole thing with Kevin Eastman, just being an influence and kind of like, hey, if you need something, let me know kind of thing. How important is that for uh, somebody like you who's, taking, who's working on property like Turtles, it's just so legendary. But and also, do you see stuff like that a lot in the comics industry, being an artist? You know, other artists saying, hey, if you need anything, come to me. If you need ideas or help or anything like that, especially somebody like uh, from Kevin's standpoint. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, comics is, it's a, you know, it's a fairly small community, you know, so everybody kind of knows everybody. And um, there's, there's a pretty good um, back and forth between creators and everybody's really supportive of each other. Um, and so it's not, I guess, it's, like it's not uncommon, uh, but it's it's for someone of Kevin's stature, like to be, you know, so cool and and you know, to be to be like to be going back and forth in emails with him is is a real treat. Totally. And we talked about some of the new characters as we're leading up to the 70th issue and Dimension X and stuff like that. So other than the tur turtles themselves, what are some of the newer characters that have been really cool to draw lately? Uh, well, I, I always loved Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, they've been around in the book for a while, but uh, they were really, really fun to draw, especially the, the IDW's version, the ones that uh, Mateus Santoloco designed uh, were really, really cool. I loved uh, the proportions of those characters. Uh, they were a lot of fun to play with. Um, I mean, there's just like an endless list of, of cool characters in the Turtles, the IDW Turtles verse. Um, I got to design a few, uh, like Bludgeon, uh, the Hammerhead Shark was really fun. Uh, Koya, the um, designed by Sophie Campbell, um, that character is a lot of fun to play with. Um, and there's a few new ones coming up in the Trial of Krang uh, storyline that uh, that I get to play around with, that I get to design, and I get to draw one really big character in the Turtles verse that I haven't done bef that I haven't drawn before. So uh, it's it's really fun. It's I. I've started the first issue of um, of the Trial of Krang, and it's going to be nuts. People are going to going to love it. We, we talked to Kevin about you know the whole Batman team and T crossover. So I want to ask you if you could draw a crossover with the Turtles and anybody else, who would it be? I mean, I feel like the obvious one is Daredevil. <laughs> that would be pretty I, interesting. I think that's that's the one that everybody kind of kind of leans towards. Um, yeah, Daredevil or like any of the street level Marvel heroes, like Moon Knight or mm -hmm. you know Iron Fist, would be pretty neat. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you've done some other stuff, too, not just Turtles. I mean, you've Teen Titans, you've done some stuff for Nova. Now, are there any characters in, in any universe that you're like, man, if I ever get a chance to draw these characters, of course, other than the Turtles and work with Kevin, what would that be? Do you have, like, a, a ceiling where you'd like to hit? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's just there's so much cool, there's so many cool toys to play with in comics. Like, it's it's hard to, to pick one. Like, I've, I've, got, I've been lucky enough to, you know, to, to draw the Turtles and... I also was a big X-Men fan growing up, and now I'm working on some X-Men stuff at Marvel. Um, I I gotten to do Spider-Man, which is which is pretty awesome. I I it's odd because uh, I was thinking about this recently. Um, I I think I'd like to try Superman at some point, just because yeah. I've I've because I I I never was a big Superman fan, and I think that I think I I guess that that challenge I think is really kind of enticing. Um, 
it'd be hard to wrap my head around, you know, drawing a character that that big um, with that big of a history uh, and trying to put my spin on that. I don't know. I think that would be really fun. You mentioned X Men just now, so here's a question: you know, being an artist, whose mutant power are you most excited about drawing and putting together on, on page? Cyclops is pretty fun to work with. Um, Havoc has always been one of my favorites. Uh, I, I love that real old school, you know, sort of uh, circular dot Beam. energy yeah, that he, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's such a such a, a really neat like old school look that like really kind of hasn't changed. You know, artists still still handle Havoc that way. Uh, Magneto, I think you can do. You can have a lot of fun with. Uh, there's so many, man. There's like Nightcrawler also. Yeah. Drawing oh, yeah. those those bamps, like yeah. everybody has a different way of doing them. That could be really fun. Totally. Well, make sure you're looking out for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue 70 that's going to be coming out really soon. Also, Trial of Krang, which we cannot wait for. And we can't wait to see what this guy has in store. Corey Smith, thanks for taking time at Topwater Comic Con. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is great. This is writer Greg Pak, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We're live from Tidewater Comic Con 2017, just kind of scoping things out, walking the floor. We just happened to run into. Pretty amazing cartoonist, actually, Robert Pope. Robert, how you doing? Doing fine. I should probably slide a five dollar bill across the table for that introduction. But we do thank not you. refuse tips, <laughs> Robert. For tips, Robert. Hey, it's a capitalist society. We all have to make a living, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I say cartoonist, and I yeah. think that's being a little modest because I mean, you've drawn stuff like Looney Tunes. What's it like to draw so many iconic characters and create new moments for something that's been around forever? It's a lot of fun. I started out almost 30 years ago as an animator, which is why I do so many licensed books like uh, Scooby-Doo or uh, Looney Tunes or Space Ghost or the Peanuts Gang or whatever. And it really is fun. Everything I do since I started in animation working very hard to keep everything looking on model is to try to suppress my own natural style and make sure that Charlie Brown looks like Charlie Brown ought to, or, or Bugs Bunny, or Space Ghost, or Batman, or whoever. So it, it really is a lot of fun. Uh, Jack Kirby once said when he was asked, what's the hardest job you've ever done? And his answer was, the job I'm doing right now. And that's always <laughs> the answer, because no matter what, when you get started on the job, it's always the hardest job you ever did. The only exception would probably be if I used to get a Scooby-Doo script and it took place in the mountains with snow or on the beach, it was like a Christmas present because it was no perspective, just sand dunes or piles of snow. Those don't come along often. Well, seeing how you've just been a cartoonist for many, so many classic characters, i got to ask this question. If there's a crossover cover you have not done yet, what would it be and why? Uh, if I had to do a crossover that I would be participating in. It would be great. I did a commission one time that was the Scooby Gang meeting the Archie Gang. And it was to die. It was a load of laughs. And I was just up in uh, Canada at a convention sitting next to Dan Parent, who is the Archie artist. And he created Kevin Keller and Die Kitty Die and all this other stuff. And um, I, I didn't have the nerve to show it to him because I was too embarrassed. I wouldn't put it in front of him. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I thought to myself, wow, that would be a great comic book to get to draw, to draw the Scooby gang. And, you know, because then you've got like Jughead and, and Shaggy who both are trying to see who can eat more food, that kind of stuff. It'd be a lot of fun. 
So when you're at a con like this, and I see you're drawing a Batman right now, which mm -hmm. looks awesome, by the way. Thank you. Um, you know, you're known for the Looney Tunes, the Scooby-Doo, stuff like that. So have you ever had any interesting things that fans ask you for, like, why don't you put this character with this character sort of thing? Uh, you get a lot of things like um, I brought a, a commission piece that's uh, Mojo Jojo from the Powerpuff Girls, and he's standing before a council of villains uh, Skeletor, Doctor Doom, and Mumra, and I drew each of, and I drew each of the characters in their respective styles. And you wouldn't think, how would those characters make any sense? Someone came up to me at a con recently and said, "Draw Homer Simpson in the Silver Age Iron Man armor, with his with his belly hanging out," you know. And I was like, "Okay, sure." Um, and then you get like sometimes people will come with a sketchbook, and it's just all the X Men. Nightcrawler character drawn by a million different cartoonists, that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's a, it's it's almost impossible to guess what the next request will be. <laughs> you know. And you know, you, the word that we've been talking about recently, just in this interview, is just respect. You say, I want to draw how Charlie Brown looks like Charlie Brown, mm -hmm. how Powerpuff Girls look like Powerpuff Girls. How important is that for artists who are getting into the industry and cartoonists to understand that? I think it's mostly important if you expect that you're going to take the kind of career path I did. Uh, I think so many, uh, if there's one uh, flaw in the way that I work, it is that people are not picking up my book because they want to see, they, you know, they, they like the work, but it's like my own, that was almost like a Christopher Walken delivery. You know, they like <laughs> the work. And, uh, but really... My own style is submerged behind the characters, whereas uh, many of the people that are here, you know, like Jay Lee over there, you know, his take on the Fantastic Four or Superman is iconic and it's unique and it has a certain cachet. That's not the way that I'm marketed. So it's really a question of, of what you see yourself. I mean, if you're, if you're crafting a style and that's the style you want to push towards the big two or indie comics or whatever, then my path professionally doesn't make any sense. It makes sense because, like I said, I started as an animator, and my job was I was handed a model sheet, and I was told to make the character look like the character with as little of my own personal stamp as possible. <laughs> so it's a unique way to get into the business. I, I actually started comics because I was working on Space Coast Coast to Coast down in Atlanta, and DC at the time, uh, the all-ages titles were edited by Heidi McDonald, and she called down my friend Clay, who was the art director on the show and voices Zorak and Moltar, and said, do you guys want to do a comic book for DC? And we're like, do you have to ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a pretty stupid question. So that's how I did that. Awesome. We're going to let you get back to doing what you do best, cartoonist Robert Pope. Thanks for joining us at Topwater Comic Con. Thank you very much. Hope you guys have a great weekend. This is Echo Callum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, it's James from the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We hope you're enjoying our coverage of Tidewater Comic Con 2017. Up next, you're going to hear us talk to Violet Bean, who plays Jesse Quick on The Flash. She happened to be at Tidewater Comic Con. We got a chance to sit down with her. A little bit of a disclaimer, though. Something odd happened just before this interview. We had a major equipment failure. Didn't know it until after the interview was already over and we came into the studio to pull all of this stuff together. So I will warn you that there's a noticeable buzz 
throughout this interview, but there's such good content in there. We wanted to put it in here anyway and see if you wanted to power through it. Keep going after the interview for more of our coverage of Tidewater Comic Con 2017. If you can't take the busing, we understand. Go ahead and fast forward through that. The interview is about seven minutes long to the rest of our coverage of Tidewater Comic Con 2017. If not, hey, enjoy our interview with Violet Bean next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast live from Tidewater Comic Con 2017. We're live from Tidewater Comic Con 2017, and a name you might remember, we had her on the show not too long ago. Of course, Jesse Quick on The Flash, it's Violet Bean. Violet, how are you doing? I'm doing great. This is my uh, first time in Virginia Beach, and it's been going well so far. Well, we wish we could add a little bit nicer weather for you. Yeah, it's a little rainy, but that's okay. Yeah, rain's we'll, good. We'll get there. Well, speaking of getting there, the first time we talked to you, fans hadn't quite seen the suit in live action. We'd seen pictures of it. We hadn't actually seen it on the screen yet. So what's the fan? what was the fan reaction like when that episode debuted you in the suit for the first time? Everyone was freaking out, including me. Um, I just remember stepping on set for the first time in it because I had had a couple fittings before, um, but never actually the full entire suit because there's different processes to it. Like you first try just a fabric costume on and then they had the leather and all of that. So when I stepped on, on set for the first time, the crew and everyone was just like, yeah, like it was this huge, like morale boost and everyone was like involved in it. It was amazing. Um, and when it aired, all the fans were so positive, which is great. It always helps. So when you saw what Girl Scene looked like, just how massive it was, what was your reaction to the forces on the show? Well, what's so interesting about working on a show like this is that none of that is there right. when you're shooting. Right. <laughs> There's not, you know, 50 to 100 gorillas running at you. <laughs> in your mind, there are, but not in the actual shooting. So seeing it on the screen is always amazing. Even just seeing the lightning bolts behind us when we run is, is amazing because when we're shooting it, you know, we just land there in a position and we feel kind of awkward about it every time because we're like, is this going to look good? But then when the special effects come in, it looks amazing. How hard is that really to kind of play off of nothing because you're supposed to have this fear of like Grodd or, or Silvar and then all of a sudden it's just not there. How do you get how do you get that reaction when there's really nothing there? Yeah, um, it definitely helps to have a group in those situations because we all just play off each other's reactions. Um, but after working on a show like that where I'm imagining everything that I'm acting to, I feel like I can do anything. <laughs> I feel like reacting to a real situation is easy now. <laughs> So, of course, we're all we're in Virginia Beach right now. A uh, different Earth. What do you think like Earth 2 Virginia Beach would look like? Oh, wow. Um, it wouldn't be a beach. <laughs> good call. Good call. It'd be landlocked. Uh, I don't know. It's my first time here, so I haven't even really been able to see what this Virginia Beach is like. <laughs> Still needs to experience Earth 1 Virginia Beach. I know. Beach before we can figure out Earth 2 Virginia Beach. That's true. But, I mean, one of the great things on the show is your, your chemistry that you have with uh, Keenan Monsdale, who plays, of course, you know, Kid Flash. And just the way you guys play off each other just seems so natural. So what what's it like working with him, and how did you really seem to make that connection that works so well on the screen? Yeah, I mean, Keenan and I, from day one, were friends. Like, we've always gotten along. It wasn't something we ever had to force. And I think, I think sometimes when you have to force it, you can tell on screen. But with us, we're just already friends and still are friends and hang out. So... It's just, you know, adding a kiss there, a kiss here, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's like we already get along, so, I mean, Keenan's a great person to work with. I feel blessed to be able to, to play that for him. When, when, 
you're on screen with Keenan, uh, of course you're in Susie. Have you ever like have like ice bear in yours or jokes and all like that? Well, his is just very like realistic. It's so similar to the comics, and it like it does it justice. You know what I mean? And I feel like while I'm grateful that I have a suit, of course, I do feel like it could be a little closer to the comic books and a little more original. Um, so I, I would have to say his might win that just because it's, it's very much his own suit. Yeah. One episode that we loved on the show was the musical episode, but we were sad that you didn't get, be, get to be a part of that episode. So if Jesse Quick was in the musical episode, what's her jam? What song was she would have You know, episode? I'm going to stop you right there. I don't think that you regret me not being in there because I'm not... <laughs> You know, not the most talented singer, so especially compared to them. I mean, seriously, those were some vocals. Melissa Benoist, I was like, yes, every day, sing for me. Like, just, like, sing to me in the shower. Like, you know what I mean? She's so good. Um, but if Jessie had to sing a song, oh, man, I don't know. Personally, Violet, my favorite karaoke song is Ignition Remix. Um, I, don't, I don't know if R. Kelly exists on Earth 2, so I can't say that that would be Jessie's. I don't know. That's a good question. And of course, you know, working with Tom Cavanaugh as well, who plays HR and here as well. So when you're doing scenes with him and you, and you see a scene where, like, maybe HR and him and your dad are in the same spot or whatever, like, how, how do you prepare for those types of, of scenes? Because they're two different, you know, the same guy, but it's two different roles. Yeah, totally. Um, Tom is very skilled in doing this. Um, so. He makes it really easy for all of us to pretend that he is someone else. Um, and he's gotten really good at this because he's played about, you know, 15 different characters so far. Um, but preparing for it, you know, you just you have a different relationship with each character. Um, and just because it's the same person, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll react the same way. Yeah, it's just it's just, you know, you go back in your head on the history that you have with these characters as, you know, as Jesse with her dad versus this guy who kind of looks like him. Where they do have these these sort of father-daughter scenes sometimes, which I think are really sweet because there's got to be some sort of a connection, you know, but it's definitely not exactly the same. We've got a lot of dads on the show, actually. We've got Barry's dad, we've got your dad, we've got, you know, of course, surrogate dad kind of thing. So who's dad when the cameras aren't rolling? Who's dad on the set, would you say? Oh, man. Um... You know, Jesse Martin is just really wise. Like, he knows a lot, and he has seen a lot, and he isn't bitter about anything. Like, he carries such a light about him, and I feel like in that respect, he's kind of a dad, because he, like, tells you to, you know, see the brighter side of things. Um, But everyone's just, like, really cool. I don't know. Some dads are like, you know, they're your dad, and I don't ever feel like when I'm around them that I can't say something or do something. You know what I mean? They're very, they're very open. And, you know, before we get you out of here, uh, you know, Savitar was revealed as, you know... A, a spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> you know, he was revealed as, as Barry, yeah. you know, future Barry. Uh, if there was... Are, 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 is part of you rooting for a scene where maybe there's, like, a foot race between you, Kid Flash, Barry, and Savitar or something Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. I've been, like, gunning for that since day one. <laughs> uh, because Jesse would win. So I'm just waiting for it to happen so you guys can also believe the truth. Oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And no, you can't tell us when you're going to be coming back on the show, but we know we'll, we'll definitely see you at some point. If not this season, maybe future seasons, maybe Legends of Tomorrow or something. That would be pretty cool. But yeah, we definitely. Will, we will definitely see you. Make sure you're watching The Flash Tuesday on the CW and looking for her, but you better look fast. It's Jesse Quick, Violet Dean. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. <laughs>
Well, we're just about wrapping things up here at Tidewater Comic Con 2017. Nick, another year, another Tidewater Comic Con, and a, and a show that's pretty much been around as long as we've been around. Yeah, actually, no, it has been because the first year we started this, this is when they were, remember, they were in the Crown Plaza Hotel, yep. the conference rooms there, and then, of course, they expanded. It took about a quarter of the convention center. Then they, again, as you, we said in the intro, just build and build and build and build. And, you know, this year, Really, really fun. I mean, it's always fun. Whenever you're at a comic convention, it's always fun. It's always fun to see new people, see comic book legends, people you thought you maybe never meet, like Neil Adams and Claremont, you know, people who've been around the game for a long time. It's just, it's really, really cool just to get their ideas and just their mentalities. You know, especially you know, talking to some people who have been in the comics game for, you know, generations, whereas some people might be starting out or maybe even doing it for about 10, 15, where some people have been doing it for 30, 40. It's really cool to get those two different concepts, those two different ideas, see how comics really have changed over the years. You know, and there was one thing that I noticed too as you're going as we were going through the vendor areas, you know, of course a lot of pops and stuff like that, but what I noticed too is that especially this year as compared to last year at Tidewater Comic Con, a lot less what I like to call print farms. Yeah. You know, people that are just yeah. selling prints. There was a lot more people sketching, a lot of more people doing... I mean, there was some, like, burnt wood art, and then there's some painted wood and some construction-type art as well. We've taken some pictures of, of that kind of stuff that you probably saw on our social media page. But, I mean, just a lot of different stuff. And I think the biggest change for me for Tidewater Comic-Con from this year to last year is different. That seems to be... The, the, the prevailing word here. And, you know, you want to talk about those, those print farms we saw. You know, when we had a table last year, we were across from one of them, and it was distracting, it looked bad. Um, you know, you look at now, I think that what you're seeing is not just with Tidewater Con, but with a lot of conventions overall across the U.S., probably across the world, a lot more cracking down on that stuff. They're like, we yeah. want legit artists. We want art, you know, we don't want somebody to... Because for print farms, basically, is people stealing work. They're stealing work from other artists. Right. And passing it off as their own or just saying this. You know, it's, 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 and what it turns into is, it's like going to Walmart. You see that, that poster wall? That's what it is. It's like, come on, man. I want If I'm buying art, I want it from the source. I want it from somebody who I'm commissioning to do something because it's legit. I love their work and stuff like that. And not only that, but... And we say that, and you're, you, we do. We did see some tables with a ton of prints, but it's, who was sitting behind them? A person sketching. Yes. I'm like, okay. Yep. Then that's how you know somebody's it's, legit. It's Kelly, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> ABS always be sketching. That's right, and that's and that's the bottom line. And I think that was a huge change from last year was that there was a lot of sketching going on this year as opposed to last year. And I think that that's a good change. We talked about the space earlier that we got to move around in the organization just in general of the convention and, and a lot of just new faces not just in the in Artist Alley but in the vendor section as well and a lot of uniqueness yeah I mean it's just you see the different types of comics the different types of art the different characters that people are drawing like you have like one booth where somebody is drawing turtles you have another one somebody's drawing Daredevil another one somebody's drawing Electra. you know it, it's it's the uniqueness and just the differences of commissions. I mean, we talked some artists off the air, and we're like, hey, what's some stuff you've commissioned today, you know, or these past couple of days? And they're like, man, I had somebody that wanted this thing, and it was weird, but yeah. it was fun to do. And, you know, that's the thing about going to conventions is you, you get to kind of 
you know, not break bread, but kind of pick the minds of just some of these artists. And you're like, man, what's the weirdest thing you've drawn? Oh, it was Venom dribbling a basketball. Or it was, you know, uh, yeah. whatever. You, you know, Daredevil walking a dog. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those I things. Mean, and that's the thing, too. That when you see these people at the cons, they're, they're at their most at ease, it seems like. Right. So they'll open up a little bit more to you. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you things that they don't normally say and stuff like that, which is great because you get to get them in that comfort zone that they're in because a lot especially the artists they're sketching they're at home you know this is what they do so then you catch them at those moments you get to talk to them about the things that they do and some of the weird stuff that they've been asked to do it's really neat so real quick what's something you want to see at next year's Tywater Con um, well I mean I think that the space is what they're going to have pretty yeah. much going forward one thing I really love to see that they had at AwesomeCon was numbers you know you know where the tables are you get, you get your maps but give me numbers on the floor, like 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 almost like a like a pillar or something, that just says 800, 700, 600, stuff like that. So I know where I'm at in Artist Town. That's what my thing I want to see happen next year is I want to see as easy as we said the, there was, the movement was flowing and stuff like that. There were some times where like, hey, where's this writer, this artist? We gotta go talk for an interview, and it was hard to find out where they were because either either they were cramped, not I would say cramped somewhere, but they were in a position where you're like, you have totally missed it if you walked by. And we did. There was times like, hey, where's, you know, Bowers and Sims? And we're like, oh, they're here. Yeah, we oh, just, that's right. They're over here. We walked here. by them like five times, but they're here. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I think that, you know, if you have like a, like a poll maybe or like a standee at everything, say like A, one through seven, you know, or, or whatever. And then people would say, okay, they're here. I mean, and because you've got your maps, right? Right. So you, you take your map and you know, okay, I need to go to table 601. Right. And then you see 600 off in the distance, you go, okay, that way. So, I mean, I just think that that would have been a little bit quicker. Yeah. I think overall, you want people walking around. You want people, A, you want people walking around. You want people spending money on commissions and artworks and books and stuff like that and, and, and figures. The big stage that they had in the front for the cosplay contest, for announcements, stuff like that, they added an information booth that was, like, legit. You could see it. You knew yep. what it was. So if you needed any information, you could go up and ask at the information booth. So those were two big changes that I think that they made for the better this year for sure and of course I just want to say this check-in was really easy oh very it was, easy it was smooth it was flowing compared to last year where it was like kind of a, a cluster of a lot of things and, and now so you're looking at I'm looking at this now and it's just it's spectacular like you know what's great is that every year you see them wanting to do more you see them learning and, and building on these things and that's what you want a convention to do you don't want to take steps backwards you no. want to build on stuff like that, like because oh, you know the day because we gotta remember even SDCC isn't perfect. Right. So if you're a convention and you're you know someone who runs a convention, you're like, oh well, our convention is the best. Nothing's wrong with it. You're you're gonna falter because you always can be learning something and how to make things more effective. And you need to put steps in year after year to make sure that the gears keep spinning and turning as fluidly as they are. Not only that, I mean, there's a reason we come back here every year. It's not just because it's home for us and it's our hometown con, but it's because every year it gets better and better. And it's going to get, it really feels like it's going to get to that point where it's just going to be at some point a huge, huge convention that's going to rank right up there at well, one of the biggest on the East Coast. Well, here's the thing is that this is, you know, real quick, this is the biggest convention in Virginia. Yep. It is. And so, I mean, quickly, I might quickly, add, too. Quickly, so about three, four years it's become one. Yep. 
and, and so here's the thing, you know, just looking at this, just building, keeping the gears fluidly moving, it's all it's what we like to see going forward. But that's going to do it for our coverage of Tidewater Comic Con in this week's episode. Man, if you want more of us, if you want more of our Tidewater Con action, you want to see photos and all this other stuff we post, we did a short, about nine, ten minute video of day one. Be sure to go to facebook.com slash downandnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downandnerdy757. Same thing for Instagram. We're at, we're at downandnerdy757 on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at Merck with one arm. The one is spelled out. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. We're going to have a lot of the stuff on up on our website, too, downandnerdypodcast.com. The This Week section... We're going to have a lot of the photos that we took at Tidewater Comic Con. We're going to have some galleries and stuff like that. We'll post any videos that we did. We'll put those up there as well. It's all going to be on our website at the This Week section and on the front page at downandnerdypodcast.com. And with that being said, as I always say, pray safe comic reading. Always bag and board your comics.